Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Well, so as always, I have my cup of coffee, which today is water, so I don't get all choked up because this is going to be a very special show. You know, some time ago when COVID was raging more than ever, more than now, obviously, I began doing a series of Facebook Lives. I called them Raising Your Hopeometer. And it was my intent to simply do that. I was out of the studio, I couldn't go in anymore, and I thought, I can't just let my audience just sit there. So I did a series of them for a while. I need to get back to it. But here's what I found. I found that not only me, but every single one of us need hope. The day we lose hope, oh my gosh. And so what I found with these Facebook Lives, as I give tips every time, was that people would email me usually later and say, Valerie, thank you for doing that. That really meant something. Well, today's show is really going to mean something because it is all about hope. So let me just introduce you. This is a story about a big dose of hope, no matter what the hardest challenge you've ever faced. Think about that for a minute. Just stop and reflect. What is what was the hardest challenge you are or have ever had in your life? With that in mind, I want to tell you about Dr. David Fagenbaum. He was recommended to me because he was on a global webinar with a friend of mine talking about what he will today. We read about a lot of rare diseases. Well, he had one. You know, none of us want any disease, much less a rare disease. So listen up as I tell you about this. First of all, just who he is. Dr. Fagendon is the full co-founder and executive director of the Castleman, that was, is the disease. Castleman Disease Collaborative Network, <laughs> for short, CDCN. One of the youngest individuals to be appointed to the faculty at the University of Pennsylvania and a national best-selling author of Chasing My Cure. So, here's what to start with. I just want you to know, and then I'm going to shut up. David survived a fierce battle with a deadly disease, not once, five times. At 25 years old, he was struck suddenly with this Castleman's disease during his third year at med school. Prior to that, just prior to that, he was bench strengthening 375 pounds, playing football, healthy. They called him the beast. <laughs> well, that brand turned out to be a bit prophetic because his disease tried to kill him five times. Each time it was harder. He'll tell you about that, ups and downs that would have taken most of us out physically, if not emotionally. But then he got mad. The beast came out, and he decided he was going to fight. Welcome to the show. Valerie, thanks so much for having me. It's, <laughs> it's really uh, special to be with you, and, and I so appreciate that introduction. Well, we've got a lot to talk about as I put this back in my ear, which comes out regularly. This happens, you know, on shows. We're just real. It humanizes um, you. <laughs> David, I want you just to talk to us about 
your story, first of all. We'll get into a lot of the backstory. Just talk to us about what happened. Sure. So just as you shared, I went from being this healthy third-year medical student. I had dreamed of becoming a doctor in memory of my mom who had passed away just a few years before from cancer. And there I was, a third-year med student, um, you know, achieving or getting close to achieving that dream of becoming a doctor. And um, out of nowhere, I just became incredibly ill. My liver, my kidneys, my bone marrow, my heart, my lungs they all just started to shut down for an unknown cause. I was immediately hospitalized. I was so sick that my doctors didn't think I would survive. And a priest came into my room and read my last rites to me because no one thought I was going to make it. I experienced failure of my organs. I gained 70 pounds of fluid. I had a retinal hemorrhage that made me blind in my left eye, thankfully temporarily. And I relied on medical technology to keep me alive. And as I shared, I was a medical student. So I, I hoped and I prayed that my doctors around me would figure out what this disease was and, and start treating me right away. The diagnosis was made just in time. Um, right before I nearly died for the second time, we finally diagnosed this condition. And um, unfortunately, though we now had an answer for what it was, um, there were no approved treatments at the time. And that would become the start of my journey, as you said, to, to look for solutions. I can't even imagine. So how long have you been in remission? Well, there were a lot of ups and downs. So the diagnosis was made. I was started on chemotherapy. My disease is something called idiopathic multicentric Castleman disease. It's a rare disease that acts in many ways like a lymphoma and also in many ways like an autoimmune disease. And at the end of the day, all we could do was treat it with chemotherapy because no one really knew how to treat it. So I would get massive doses of chemotherapy. It would just destroy my immune system, but I would start to feel better. Um, unfortunately, I would feel better. And then months later, I would relapse again. Um, and then I would feel better. And then months later, I'd relapse again. Um, and chemotherapy was the only thing keeping me alive. I eventually got involved in research and I, and I realized and it, there's a really important moment um, when I failed to respond to the only drug that anyone was studying for Castleman disease. And I learned that there were no more promising leads. And I told my dad, my sisters and my girlfriend that I would dedicate my life to trying to find something that could save my life. And um, I started searching for, for treatments that could maybe help me. I started doing research on my own blood samples and, um, and then I relapsed again and it wasn't in time. You know, I didn't find anything that could help me. Um, but with my, my fifth deadly relapse of this disease, I started storing my samples. I knew that I needed to learn what was happening so I could run experiments on my samples. And it was that fifth time that I kind of caught my disease in its tracks. And I found a drug that's been around for decades it had never been used before for Castleman's, but I decided to try it. It was my only hope. And now, uh, to answer your question now, it's been a little bit over seven years that I've been in remission. So, David, during that time, the ups and the downs, what was that like? How many ups and downs? How many times did you feel better, maybe go home for a while, go back to med school, whatever, then go back? Describe that to us. Yeah, it was um, uh, busying to, to go kind of back and forth between critical illness where I would be in the intensive care unit with all of my organs shutting down, preparing to die, saying goodbye to my family. And then in a matter of months, I would be back to this healthy medical student training to 
greet patients in memory of my mom. And, and unfortunately, months later, I'd be back in the ICU. And it was this back and forth that had happened a total of five times in about a three-year period. And with each of those lows and, and even with each of the highs, I learned so many lessons about life. You mentioned earlier my book, Chasing My Cure, and I, and I felt so compelled to write this book because I learned so many lessons about life uh, and about living from nearly dying, lessons that I didn't know before I became ill and lessons that I felt I needed to, to write on paper so that I could share with other people so that you and others don't have to have your last rites read to you before you learn these lessons and that you can just, just pick up a copy and read it without having to go through um, the, the months of pain, but also the many, um, the many periods of, of happiness. And David, during that time, you had your family as a support system. You had your girlfriend now, thank God, wife and little That's girl. Right. Um, during that time, where was Caitlin, your wife now? And where did she play in all of this? So Caitlin played such an important role throughout my journey. Um, Caitlin and I started dating while I was an undergrad at Georgetown. I, I played football at Georgetown and I, and I um, did pre-med courses and um, so I could want to go to medical school. And, and I also got the opportunity to meet Caitlin. And um, we dated for a few years before um, uh, before I became ill and actually broke up just a few months before I became really sick. We had this sense, 25 years old, well, um, we love one another. Um, but you know what? If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. You know, we can take a break now. We don't need to 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 make this relationship work now because it'll all work out in the future. And then and then I found myself on my deathbed, um, realizing that I didn't actually have all the time in the world, and that I couldn't just kind of take anything in life for granted. I couldn't just say if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Um, and so when I got out of the hospital about six months later, um, the first phone call I made was to Caitlin and. And, you know, I, I wish that I had fought for our relationship. I really regret that I didn't and that um, we didn't try to make it work because I would have wanted to spend those last couple months of my life, um, you know, with her. And um, thankfully, she felt the same way that I did. And um, we started dating again. And uh, so now she was, you know, very much a part of my journey, both in how I coped with the low points, but also in helping to create these wonderful memories around the high points. Um, and really everything in between. Um, there were so many times throughout this journey where um, I was so focused on trying to find a treatment that could save my life that um, I I'd lost track of things around me. I, I would forget to eat meals. I would, um, you know, kind of forget the basics of life um, and, and the importance of spending the time with people that you love. And Caitlin was kind of always there to you know, make sure I, I didn't forget that. Yes, I'm searching for a cure for me and for other patients, but I can't. I can't forget about the the things around me and the people around me along the way. And she constantly reminded me of that. And also, she she oftentimes you know made sure I ate meals, which was a good thing because you know it's hard to cure a disease when when you haven't eaten all day. So um, she just in a million ways has just been so supportive. That is such a love story. I know Caitlin was there from the very beginning, and I know you pushed her out, didn't want her to see you in the hospital, and she just kept coming back. You know, we need those love stories too, David. We really do. And speaking of love stories, your mom was such a big supporter all through your school life, and much more than that in what drove you to be the beast and now to do what you do. Tell us about that. 
Sure, you're absolutely right. Um, Caitlin has inspired me to want to keep fighting and um, have this vision for the future with her and with our daughter, Amelia, that I keep working towards. And at the same time, my mom taught me so many of the lessons and gave me so many of the tools to be able to actually do that, to, to you know, achieve that goal, which is to is to overcome obstacles and to um, find solutions where it doesn't seem like there are any. And my mom was just the most incredible person. She was just the supporter to everyone around her. She um, always uh, found a way to, ma to make you laugh and make you smile during your toughest times, um, but also to find solutions and to help you to think through, um, you know, how can you overcome challenges? And so um, my, my mom was, was just the best simply. And um, I, I miss her so much. She passed away. Um, I was 19 years old and that experience, um, as I mentioned earlier, drove me to want to go into medicine. It also inspired me to want to start an organization in her memory, um, an organization I started called AMF. My mom's name was Anne Marie Fagenbaum, her initials were AMF. And I started this group, um, which initially stood for Ailing Mothers and Fathers, now stands for Actively Moving Forward, which is all about continuing her legacy of being the supporter for other people. AMF is a support group for grieving college students, uh, college students coping with the illness or death of a loved one. And I just love that even today, uh, almost 20 years later, college students around the country are receiving support from other college students um, because of, of the, the kind of life my mom lived that she's inspired. And she died of a brain tumor, and yet you have one of your teachable points of view from that about the silver lining. Would you expand on that a little? Sure. She taught me so many lessons. Um, one of those is, uh, as you mentioned, silver linings. You know, COVID is just one of many challenges that so many of us are dealing with in our, in our daily lives. And, and if you're anything like me, um, you've probably been encouraged over the years to look for a silver lining to say, COVID's terrible, but is there a silver lining here? Maybe you spend more time with your spouse, or maybe you actually were able to spend more time with, with your kids because, uh, you know, you guys were all living in the same house together. You know, what is that silver lining that you can look for? Uh, but my mom um, took it one step further. It wasn't just that we should look for silver linings and see, you know, what is a silver lining that's emerged? She always encouraged me to look to create silver linings. So that means that in the midst of COVID, you say, this has been awful. Um, and and it, it's a terrible pandemic, but what can I do? What can I create that can make something positive out of something just so horrible? And so starting AMF was an example of doing that for grieving college students when I was grieving my mom's passing. And then starting the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network was the way that I did that when I was first diagnosed and battling Castleman disease. But the work we've done uh, during the COVID pandemic, I think, is another silver lining where we've um, launched a project called the Corona Project, basically where we're following the same blueprint that I followed to find a drug that's saving my life, to find drugs that can save COVID-19 patients' lives. So, David, this is also fascinating. Your book was just incredible. I, I can't wait for people to buy it, Chasing My Cure, which we'll talk about at the very end how to do that. But when you talked about that, um, also, as we talked in a pre-interview, I loved what you shared about hope. You said there are three things, three T's, that you can how you can turn hope into action. Tell us the three T's, please. Sure, sure. So, um, so the, the subtitle of my book is A Doctor's Race to Turn Hope into Action. And the reason I, I chose that as the subtitle is because 
Um, turning hope into action, I think, is the most fundamental lesson that's come from my journey. So I was always a very hopeful person. I was always um, very optimistic about the future, um, uh, very hopeful that the right things would happen to the right people. Um, and uh, I think it's really important to be hopeful. Um, but what I've learned over the course of my journey, both in watching my mom's illness and her passing, and then the work that I do for Castleman disease and grieving college students and it's just become, and then in my own case, just become so clear that when we hope for something or we pray for something or we wish for something, the most important thing we can do is to ask ourselves, what can we do today to get closer to that which we're hoping for? What actions can we take? So the first T is today. What actions can we take today um, to get us closer to that which we're wishing for tomorrow? So the second T is what is that thing that you're wishing for, you're praying for, you're, you're hoping for? Um, and, then, and then go back to that first one, which is what can I do today to, um, to get me closer? And the third T is that for nearly every challenge that is important to overcome, we can't overcome it on our own. So the third T is your team. You need to make sure you assemble the right team of people to overcome it. So it's reflecting on what am I hoping for tomorrow? What can I do today to get closer to that, which I'm hoping for? And what sort of team do I need to assemble um, to make sure that I can achieve this goal or at least do the things I have power over to get closer to achieving that, that which I'm hoping for? Boy, that just inside of me, it's just like, yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> go, go, go. <laughs> go, go, go. And then here's what I loved so much. I reflected on this during the last week and a half you know, before that we do this show and before when we did our, our interview, um, you said, think it, do it. Yes. And I don't know about you listeners, but I'm at a point in my life where there are some things that I've been thinking about. So David, you never know how God works, right? That just went, ooh. <laughs> and so I, I read that and I thought about it and you talked about it. And I thought, for heaven's sakes, quit thinking about it. Just do it. And that's what you did. But I want to go back to you being in the hospital. And you mentioned prayer. That was pretty much a miracle. Now you're at your fifth time. Not to go back and rehash, but I can't leave this without talking about that fifth time, which was the miracle. You had people, relatives from Trinidad, you said, all over the mm -hmm. world praying for you. Um, how do you look upon that? now as well that was a miracle or that was a second how are you feeling about that now you have this second chance yeah it's, it's a great question it's so hard uh for for me or i think for any of us to kind of wrap our heads around um when things like this happen where um it's just so unlikely that i would survive or someone else in my position would survive and then we do it's 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 hard in particular for me because um, I spend so much of my time trying to have the same thing happen for other patients, and they don't often survive. And um, and boy, do they deserve that miracle just as much as I did, or more than I did. And, and you know, it didn't necessarily come through for them. So it's it's hard for me to understand. I think hard for any of us to to wrap our heads around these sorts of things. Um, but of course, I'm so thankful that that I survived each of those five deadly relapses. Um, but now my life is dedicated to figuring out ways to make it so that other people survive through these awful things and that it's not such a miracle 
for someone like me to make it, but it's standard for people like me to make it through these diseases because we found more and more treatments um, that can save more and more lives. And so thank you for that. When you said now you're dedicating your life, <clears throat> what about your experiments on yourself um, are leading you to what you're now doing and trying to repurpose, you said, all of this into what? Yeah, so as, as you mentioned, I'm on a I'm alive and, and we're talking today in part because of a drug that had never been used before for Castleman disease. But through my research and experiments I ran on my own samples, I thought this drug could work. I found that a part of my immune system was turned on too much. And I found that there was a drug that was really good at turning off that part of the immune system. And so I thought maybe that, that this could save my life. And so it's been a little bit over seven years I've been on this drug. Um, but this concept of, as you said, drug repurposing is something that does not receive nearly enough attention. And that's that when a drug gets approved to treat one disease, it oftentimes, the way that it worked to treat that disease, it could actually also work to treat other diseases because drugs don't actually target diseases. Drugs target problems. They target cells and proteins and things in the body. And oftentimes those same problems that are important for Castleman disease may also be important for cancer or, or vice versa. And so um, the important thing to think about and, and what has just been such an eye-opener for me, I mean, I was already in the medical field when I got sick, yet I really did think that if a drug was approved for, let's say, two diseases, that it only worked for those two diseases and that it didn't work for anything else. Because I assumed that if it could work for anything else, that it must have been studied or tested. And then I learned, you know, from my own experience that, that there are drugs out there that can be effective for other diseases, but no one's figured it out yet. And so that's really what keeps me up at night and what drives me to keep working is this idea of drug repurposing, which is to say there's about 2,500 drugs that are already approved for at least one thing. Let's figure out all of the uses for those 2,500 drugs in new diseases or existing diseases that no one's ever studied those drugs in. Just think about the number of lives that can be saved right away, you know, just by doing the work as opposed to the many years it takes to develop a new drug. And, and I think we have to continue to develop new drugs. I'm not saying we, we shouldn't, but I think we should make sure we take advantage of all of the drugs currently available to us. And, and that's what we're doing as part of the COVID pandemic. David, what are we close to? Is there something that you're finding that's, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming? Yeah, so for COVID, absolutely. There's a drug called fluvoxamine, um, which is uh, it's actually a treatment for obsessive compulsive disorder um, that looks to be really effective in patients um, in, in minimizing symptoms and preventing them from needing to be hospitalized. With COVID, that's very high on our list of promising drugs. A drug called baricitinib, um, that's an autoimmune disease drug that looks to be particularly effective in COVID patients who are in the hospital. Um, uh, drugs like heparin, dexamethasone, tocilizumab. These are drugs that have been around for decades um, that are already saving COVID patients' lives. And so I think that we've, we've got a, a, you know, ways to go to continue to find more and more drugs that are more helpful, um, but really exciting progress has been made. And we've proven through COVID and also through my experience with Castleman's that there are drugs out there that are just sitting on a shelf that might actually be helpful for diseases that we don't even know about and I'm so hopeful that we can figure out a way forward so that we really take advantage of all the drugs that are currently available to us. Well, you said it well. You said we're in overtime. 
Make every second count. That's what you're doing. And I found it fascinating in the book when it talked about that you decided to go get an MBA so that you had a business background along with your med background. How has that served you? It's been so helpful for me. You're, you're absolutely right. So I was a third-year med student when I got sick. I decided to take on Castleman disease and search for treatment and, and, and search for cures for my disease um, over the course of the next year. And I, and I learned really quickly as I was chasing after my cure for Castleman disease that actually some of the biggest hurdles and challenges to find treatments really had nothing to do with medical technology or science. They were people just not working together. It was an issue of lack of collaboration, inefficient use of funding, inefficient use of scarce resources like patient samples. I mean, these were all kind of people problems, organizational problems. And so I thought that if I go to business school and I was fortunate, I did medical school at the University of Pennsylvania. So I could go just down the street to the Warden Business School and, and do an MBA there. And in the course of it, it was so, it was so great because you know, I would be in, in, in lectures where they'd be giving a lecture about, let's say, Shake Shack or like a hamburger business, and they'd be sharing principles about how Shake Shack has been so successful. And, and there I would be taking notes about how I could apply something from Shake Shack to what we were doing to trying to find a cure for Castleman disease. And then I'd send about 15 emails to different members of my team and scientists to say, I think we need to do this, this, and this. And I didn't mention it was because Shake Shack inspired me. But that, that was the kind of thing that business school allowed me to do is to learn from great examples in the business world of overcoming major problems and, and, and finding solutions um, and applying them directly to my search for treatments. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my gosh, you're not too bright, David. You're also a man that likes humor. We talked about yes. that. And, I mean, in the midst of everything you went through and now the serious work that you're doing, can you remember anything funny that you can share with us in your uh, past experience in med school? Sure. Um, so uh, during my really tough times, and I, and I think that um, I didn't appreciate this before I became sick, but during my toughest times, I found that laughing with the people I love is exactly what I've needed. Um, I, I, you know, laughing with my dad, my sisters, with Caitlin, um, it, it's it's helped me to get through some really tough times. And um, the the first experience um, that, that immediately comes to mind that, that makes me laugh is um, I had spent almost six months in the hospital. I had gotten multiple rounds of chemotherapy to save my life, and I'd lost all of my hair. It was I was bald from the chemo. I had this huge belly because. Um, uh, I, my liver and my kidneys weren't working. So I had fluid kind of all over my body. I looked like I was about nine months pregnant. And um, it was New Year's Eve, 2010. And my dad and I decided to go for a walk. It was about 8 p.m. that night around the hospital. And as we passed the family waiting room at this hospital, um, we saw that there was a gentleman who had been drinking on New Year's Eve. He was like very clearly drunk. He was kind of like swaying in his chair and um in our next lap around we saw that this gentleman had fallen off the ground he was so drunk he had fallen out of his chair and so my dad ran over and helped him back into his chair and he looked at my dad and i he said thanks so much good luck to you and your wife we were like wife what is he talking about and then i looked at my belly and i realized that he thought that i was my dad's pregnant wife and that we were walking laps in the hospital to, to prepare to deliver our child and, and, you know, you can imagine that that could have created tears and been this, you know, low point emotionally. But I turned to my dad. I said, man, dad, you've got an ugly wife. And we just laughed so hard. And, and that was, you know, if, if someone had confused me as my dad's pregnant wife, 
maybe uh, at some other point in my life, certainly before I became ill, I probably would have been pretty depressed about it. I'd like, man, that's pretty bad. But but I think that, you know, in the course of the ups and the downs of my journey, I learned that, that sometimes you just have to laugh at, at some of these really, really tough experiences. But it's not laughing at them. It's really laughing with the people you love that I think is so important. And you, I have to laugh. I mean, that is funny. <laughs> It is funny. And you've seen the pictures because I know you've seen in the book, there, there are literally pictures of me with this huge belly. And you can kind of appreciate how, how someone would have thought that I was my dad's pregnant wife. Oh, well, speaking of your book and the pictures in your book, how can we get your book? I, I am going to share one thing with the audience. We know we can get your book. And if you will just use this code uh, to the word Valerie, just the code word Valerie, and send it to what? Me, David? To you? Sure, absolutely. So, so Chasing My Cure is available everywhere books are sold. But if you'd like a signed copy of Chasing My Cure, yes, please send it. Send an email to Valerie um, with, with the code word Valerie. Valerie, if you want to share a, a good email address for you, then um, then, then we can certainly uh, you know give you the opportunity to to get a copy, a, a signed copy of Chasing My Cure, which I'd be I'd be thrilled and honored to sign. That would be awesome. Don't miss it. I I'm telling you. I couldn't put it down, and almost every page had something that just kind of hit inside. And I think that's the miracle of David's work now. He wrote a book that's not only interesting to people who are going through diseases or hard times, it's interesting to you and me. I found it so. So don't forget Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com. The code word is Valerie, and he will sign your book. Now, David, how can people get involved in your work? What can we do for you? Sure. There's a few ways to get involved. The, the first would be to go to ChasingMyCure.com. Um, at ChasingMyCure.com, you can learn about the work that we're doing around drug repurposing, the way we're trying to change the way that research is done on a global scale. You can go to cdcn.org slash corona if you want to follow the work we're doing specifically for COVID-19. Um, and also back at the ChasingMyCure.com website, you can find all of our social media handles so you can follow along on a daily basis. As, as Valerie knows, we try to give a lot of updates on the progress we're, we're making for COVID, the progress we're making for Castleman's. Um, just generally how we're trying to change the way research is done and along the way inspire people to, to live life according to, to these really important lessons that have really stood out over the course of my journey. So we would love for you um, to check out those websites to support the work that we're doing um, and help spread the word about it. Listen, folks, this is Disease Central where you can actually follow and read about and feel like you're a part of what's happening because you can see it on Facebook. You can see what he's doing. You can read about it. You know, it's another thing to go to your doctor and say, well, what's new, <laughs> right? <laughs> but this man is doing it like on a daily basis. So it's almost like he became, he becomes your friend. He's become my friend. Yes. I'm going to follow and I want you to as well. So David, I thank you so much for being on the show and stay with me just for a minute because I want to I want you to hear what I'm going to do next. Before I do, I do want to say thank you to my sponsor, which is Betty Ryder uh, Boutique at uh, Preston Center. So she is kind enough to let me sometimes wear their beautiful clothes. I can't have a wardrobe for every single show. So that's really good, isn't it? All right. I have a challenge for you. I've really given this a lot of thought. 
There is a site, a hope site, called thekindnesspandemic.org. Thekindnesspandemic.org. My friend Jan Strimple told me about it. It's on Facebook. It was started by Dr. Catherine Barrett in 2020 to just support us as we're going through stuff to give us hope. And it was established, listen to this, on the 14th of March, 2020, and it grew to 500,000 members in two weeks. Wow. Well, does that tell you that we need something all the time to give us hope? But it's different than that. It helps us have awareness, emotional intelligence, of what we can do, just little kind things. So here's my challenge. I want you, my listeners, to please send me an email and let's share the different kindnesses that we are becoming more aware of that we could do any day. And here's what some of the people who have received some kindnesses, and I just mean, listen, it can be a smile. It can be a pat yeah. on somebody's back saying, thank you for letting me get in line at the grocery store ahead of you. I don't care what it is. It can be handing a, uh, a granola bar to a homeless person. I did that recently. I'm going to send that to her. It doesn't matter. It's the awareness. But listen to this. Here's what a few people said who received some kind of a genuine kindness. Um, somebody said, it makes me feel fuzzy inside. It helps me connect to another individual. It turns a stranger into a friend. It makes me feel connected, like I'm at one of that person's, like I'm at one with that person. After all, we all breathe the same air. It makes my whole day sunny. I think kindness is about awareness. We all have struggles, and quite often I'm humbled when I realize that someone else is really struggling far more than me. Kindness is being motivated to at least help ease that struggle for another in some way, no matter how big or small that act of kindness is. It will always be appreciated by those who need it and receive it. I want to start this challenge, listeners. Go out there, do something, and then email me and let me know what you did. And I'm going to start posting those things. Let's get a movement going. Will you do that? It's thekindnesspandemic.org. And so with that, as always, I love you all for being supportive of this podcast. Please, if you haven't hit the red button, do so and subscribe. Tell others to do so. And until next week, Go out and be kind. Bless you all. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically. <laughs>